Welcome to Santa Barbara Talks with Josh Molina. It's my pleasure and privilege to be here right now with James Joyce, founder of Coffee with a Black Guy. And uh, James and I have known each other about 10 years or so. Yeah, Our paths have crossed uh, here and there in, in government, and uh, we see each other around town. Uh, James, thanks for taking the time to sit down and uh Talk to me and educate me and educate the readers on these very important issues. Absolutely, man. My, my pleasure. So uh, why don't we talk a little bit about where we're at right now in this country in this uh, point in time. Right now we've seen all of these protests, this civil unrest. Uh, we just had the death of George Floyd, the police officer, has been charged with manslaughter and people are rightfully outraged by all of this and we're seeing all these protests around the country. We had a protest and rally uh, in Santa Barbara today. Can you sort of help me understand from your perspective, uh, what are we seeing going on in our country right now? Is this a tipping point? Is it changing? Has it always been that way? Um, how do you assess what we're seeing right now? I, I think, you know, and, and again, these are my thoughts, but I, I think that, that uh, a large swath of the country is getting woke, as we call it. You know, be observant, as I, as I equate it to in, 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 in uh, layman's terms. But um, a lot of people are getting woke to what the reality has been for so long, right? And, and I think absolutely technology is the great equalizer. All of this stuff has been happening. Um, we just haven't had that technology at our fingertips to kind of make sure that everybody sees it. And, and um, I, I, I would be remiss to, when you ask the question, where are we now? I would be remiss not to point out, you've got to look at whenever something comes up like that, you got to look at, okay, so how did we get here? Well, how did we get here? All you got to do is Google the history of policing in America. Just look at that history, right? Um, and the history of that is, uh, prior to around 1830, policing was pretty much neighborhood volunteer neighborhood watch around the country. People just had volunteer neighborhood watch, you know, keeping out for your neighbors, this kind of the other. Around 1830 to 1840, something like that, um, they started to kind of formalize these. Uh, there was a, a movement in uh, northeastern America that started to formalize as police forcing, um, more or less to protect businesses. Um, and then there's the, uh, in the South, uh, a similar idea of police forces forming to protect the property. And that property were slaves. So we had slave patrols. And essentially what happened with slave patrols is uh, the sheriff of these places would deputize members of the community who were often Klansmen as slave patrollers, and then they would have the opportunity to, to become officer. And then, you know, I dare you to crack the OED and look at the derivation of officer. Um, overseer, mm -hmm. right? So, I mean, there's no surprise where, where we are today. When you look at it and you really pull that long lens back and say, you know, how did we get here? Like, this is the history of America. Um, and, and you know, then the natural question is, well, damn, well, where do we go from here, <laughs> right? Um, and, you know, quite frankly, I don't know. I, I don't know. But I think that this mass awakening, um, this mass understanding, this mass... Uh, 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 awakening to become in a point of everyone is wanting to be a student right now, right? Um, I'm about to turn 40. I've been dealing with race since I was a kid, mm -hmm. right? Head on. Uh, there's, there's definitely an evolution to, to dealing with the race when you're, you're a black kid in America, particularly in predominantly white areas. But um, that, I mean, I'm not new to the conversation. 
All those people that were standing out there at the courthouse, yeah. they're new to the conversation, <laughs> yeah. right? Like this is new stuff. Like we're, you know, you're you're you putting a um, a first grader in in fifth grade classes at this point, mm. right? And so the, there's going to be a, a learning curve, and folks are going to be frustrated just the way you were when you didn't understand the, your multiplication tables, right? There's that frustration that's going to happen. Yeah. Um, well, shit, what can I do? They keep telling me I shouldn't talk or I shouldn't do this or blah 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 blah. Yeah, just Sit in that in a little bit. Like, just explore those feelings. Um, and, you know, one of the key phrases that I continually uh, uh, repeat in, in Coffee with the Black Guy is find a way to get comfortable being uncomfortable. That discomfort that you feel when you're being called out for saying, sit down, it's not your time to talk. When that, 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 that discomfort, that there's growth there, right? And so just sit there and explore that a little bit. I mean, I'm not a therapist or anything, but like when you go sit and when I talk to my therapist, it's like, you know, talk, you know, ask, ask me, you know, more probing questions about whatever it is that you bring up. And so you utilize that same process, utilize that same stuff that we, we do in classes where you when you want to know something, you go and learn more about it. Read books. Don't always turn to your black friends and ask them the questions, right? Uh, like right now, that's a tough time. Like I, I think I mentioned, like my, my inbox, my text box, my uh, 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 Facebook Messenger, like everything is flooded right now with people who know me and or have uh, know what I do with these conversations and want to engage in those conversations now. Well, temperature's a little hot right now. Like we got we got to cool off until we can kind of uh, uh, you know figure things out more clearly but you know i think i think we're you know when you ask where are we, where are we right now we're exactly where we're supposed to be what was your reaction when you saw the video of george floyd and the police officer leaning on his head and neck there what was your reaction I, you know my initial reaction just numb like i mean it, it it's it's not like it was a shocking image or anything like i like i i've got countless stories Right. And, and um, you know, I, at first I really wasn't fully tuned in like and that like I would see the images. I would see I wasn't really listening to what was going on, other things going on, like blah, 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 blah. Then you're like, hold on, what happened? Like he died like from that. Oh, wow. That's murder on TV. Like y'all are y'all are doing like y'all are doing murder porn now. Like pretty much like that's what has happened with America right now. We're burning shit up because uh, and I don't know what your, your language requirements are here but we're, we're, the, the country is burning and you're seeing this frustration and people are acting out in this way no matter what side they're on like I understand there's some agitators out there this that and the other but the whole like the whole idea that we're in this place where this can even happen is not a mistake it, 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 it's not a mistake and, and it, I mean like um, and you know, I agree with the fact like we're at the tail or in the hopefully the tail of a global pandemic where folks have been sitting home and they don't have to, you know, you really ha are looking for things to keep you occupied. And then these series of events happen that are right in front of your face and you don't know what else to do. And that's lights the fire. Yeah. Right. And, 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 you know, literally and figuratively. Um, what was it? it? It was like, really, like, just think about it. It was the Ahmaud, Ahmaud Arbery, then the news about Breonna Taylor. Taylor. Yeah. Then there was um, uh, uh, what's her name, Amy Cooper, and, the, the, and then the, the, that the, was like on a Sunday, and then uh, <laughs> Monday or Tuesday we got boom, yeah. you know, like do, 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 like that's like that just blew up. Like, what else did you expect to happen? Right. 
right? Like, like when, when, when you see how the, the, the inaction of these things, like, hold on. When we first found out about Ahmaud, Mur- Ahmaud Arbery, that was two months after it had happened. They had said, like, like that festers. Like, okay, yeah, so they arrested him after the video came out and there was this uprising. Like, but what, why did it take that? Took the video and it took right. public attention. Right. Yeah. So that, right, right here in that little box that we just discussed, that's the explanation as to why Black Lives Matter exists. Right, that whole phrase exists because of that. Because there just doesn't seem to be a care or a value on Black lives. Well, how is that? We had a president, or you know, we got you know the NBA and and the NFL, and like these are superstars and da 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 da. Yeah, I had a hard time watching the Last Dance and not thinking about this is a plantation mentality. The whole idea of ownership of a team and then having these specifically bred humans, right? Like, because during the slave trade, like, the whole idea was to breed strong, big, strong slaves to be able to work the land and get the most bang from your buck. And then we're supposed to be surprised that these huge individuals are dominating athletics. That's by design, right? Like, they, they're, 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 like nothing happens in a vacuum. Um, and then just looking at you know, and, and I, yeah, yeah, we can get on a whole nother tangent talking about sports and that whole uh, say the last, or the last, I uh, say the last, yeah. the whole the last dance with Michael Jordan thing. But um, like, again, like that's just, most people look at that and just be like, oh, I remember Michael Jordan. Like, yeah, yeah I had that too. But this extra gear is always running in my head because it's race, 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 race. Every day I wake up, I look in the mirror and what do I see, right? I'm a black man, unmistakably. Ooh, I should write that down. <laughs> <laughs> so you, you mentioned right now a lot of people have been reaching out to you, wanting to talk to you, get your perspective about what's going on. What do you do with coffee with a black guy that is supposed to be conversations before it erupts into this national stage? Talk to me a little bit about the type of work that you do that people can do to sort of address these issues before it comes to a big head. Hey, look, I didn't invent the whole idea of coffee with a black guy. Uh-huh. I stole it from Coffee with a Cop. Yeah. Coffee with the Cop is a notion founded in Hawthorne in 2011, okay. and the whole notion behind that is to humanize the badge, right? We're here in the community, blah, 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 because we need to humanize the badge. I get that concept, we need to humanize my skin. I can't take that off at the end of the day. I can't put on a jogging suit and then I'm just some white guy running down the street. I'm always black, right? So I take exception with that whole phrase, blue lives matter. There's no such thing as blue lives unless we're talking about Smurfs, (laughs) right? You can take that badge off. You can take that uniform off. And as you can see, you can be fired from that whole identity. I cannot. It's it's, it's inextricable. So... These conversations, uh, you might meet with, what, a company, an organization, and, 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 and what do you tell them that they can be doing on the ground every day to avoid some of these issues that come up when they become a national conversation? Look, I don't, I don't profess to have a solution. I don't profess that to have a plan on how we're going to get anywhere. We just go and start talking. Yeah. Um, I think what works best is when a community organization wants to host a conversation like that in their community, yeah. um, whether that be an organization like showing up for racial justice or uh, an organization with a mission of convening, convening um, oh hell, or even like the Rotary, right? You know, their thing is service and being able to like 
be of service in your community, well, what better way to, to be of service than to, to learn about your neighbor, right? Um, and so it, it's in, a, in that mindset of bringing people from their connections or ne their networks to a place and, you know, COVID-19 has kind of wrecked this, and so we've had to pivot from that. But the concept is bringing folks to a place to have a conversation, a genuine conversation, where things can get messy. Um, you're going to get uncomfortable. Um, you know, the leaders of that of, of the march, they've been to events. Uh, a lot of the folks, on most of the folks on the stage have been to events and have shared the same frustrations that they shared on stage in a situation like this. But when I started having coffee with Black Eye, it was just, you know, just basic little things saying, hey, look, black eye office hours, essentially. I'm going to be here. You got some questions. I know you may not understand. This is when um, Philando Castile and Alton Sterling got shot, right? That's 2016. Like, y'all may not understand how to process this, what's going on. I know everybody's paying attention. Here, I'll be here. Let's talk about it. And then to grow three years later to a point where there's 100 people from a community wanting to engage in a conversation like that and basically saying, look, if you all have questions, hey, what's going on? My, this, the, this is, you know, I start every session with a quick explanation of what it is because it's always new, new people, but there's also a lot of repeat folks that come to more than one event. Um, and it's, it's, you know, this is what the concept is. Uh, let's have conversations. Like, does anybody have any questions? And a lot of times it's real uncomfortable at first. Nobody wants to get the conversation started. And I've, you know, I, as you can tell, I, I'm, there's no shortage of, of words in, in my mouth. So, uh, um, you know, there's thoughts that I may have that bring to start the conversation. Um, I'll be doing the online one. I, I think I may want to maybe ask like a question. But actually, I had one good question come in already. That I, I'm definitely like one of the questions is about um, white knight syndrome. What's the white knight syndrome, and, and and how do I, how do I, like as a white person, how do I navigate this situation in time right now? I want to be helpful, mm -hmm. but I don't want to overstep my bounds because I understand I have white privilege. But what is white knight syndrome? And white knight syndrome is this whole notion of the white savior, right? Uh, the greatest example, particularly in Black America, that I remember most recently, where that was being talked about, particularly in in cinema. Um, hidden figures, mm. Kevin Costner's role. Mm -hmm. That never happened. He never took, there was never anybody who took down the colored sign and said, you're all going to go to the same bathroom. Mm -hmm. Of course, that's cinematography, and, and you, you know, hype that up for cinema. But um, like that notion, Hollywood likes that notion. They'll green light that notion, right? But if it were a black person who had to do that, that's not the white knight syndrome, right? So it's the whole idea of the white savior coming in to save the day. Yeah. Let me ask you a question that I don't know if we can answer it, but when I watch these videos, and you know, all time after time again, you're seeing a cop with a gun, a weapon, fully equipped to do lots of damage against somebody, an African-American, unarmed. Sometimes they're teenagers. They, they don't have anything on them except their bare hands to defend themselves and we've got these people with weapons why presumably why are cops afraid of black people <laughs> that's a good question i mean that, that's a great question i mean they already have an edge over their community right mm -hmm. let's go down that path yeah let's talk about steroid use in law enforcement let's talk mm -hmm. about uh pill use in law enforcement mm -hmm. so let's take this as a state employee if i'm driving a state car and i get in an accident I have to take take a toxicology report after that, right? So, where are 
What? Where are these officers' toxicology reports? They gun somebody down. You know, IA is going in there and doing this. Yeah. You know, and of course, you know, there's ways around that. But um, and and the whole blue, uh, thin blue line. Like I, I know these things are real and understand that. I've been in a locker room. I get it. Um, but why, why is that not part of the conversation? And the reason I bring that up is because when I look at these things happening, when I have been the person on the other side of those things happening, and I, like, you're, we're sitting here talking, and now all of a sudden you switch and start acting and beating me. Like, what happened? That's void rage. I've seen it in the, I played, I played semi-pro football. Like, I've seen it in the locker rooms. I know, like, I know that it's a familiar attitude. That there, that needs to be part of the conversation. And you know who needs to be held accountable for that? The police unions, they're the ones who actively say, no, we don't want that as part of, of, of the public discussion. That's mm-hmm. private. Just like they don't, you know, there's the whole idea. And I get it. Like, you know, you're in a high, uh, high danger industry. Um, so you can get a special license plate in, or a special license plate and a special ID in, Mer- in um, uh, uh, California to uh, uh, keep your, your name off the public record so people can't get your address and things like that. Da, 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 da. I, get, I get the need and desire to do that. But when you are um, an employee of, and you are given the public trust, I would argue that that is part of the public, that should be part of the public discourse. Right. And, and let's really have conversations around that. And from the reporter days, making sure I was tracking these issues, uh, police unions argument for, for not wanting like not wanting to test for steroids and things like that is because they feel that they need to be able to have an edge over the public. And, and that's been a, a, like those, that's, that's the phrasing that was in the statement I, I read is that they need to be able to have an edge over the public because they're always encountering dangerous situations and high, like, so you wonder why we're where we are. That's why, right? And, and, and you know, this whole idea of, of fear is, uh, that's a scape, scapegoat notion, right? It, it's, if you didn't go hunting, you shouldn't fear getting attacked by a jaguar, right? Don't have to fear getting attacked by a jaguar if you're not in the jungle. Why are these black and brown communities over-policed? Why are the police not in Brentwood on a regular basis, sitting on the corners harassing the neighbors, mm-hmm. right? Like, it's like a lot of the same activities, most of the time worse, as we saw um, <laughs> uh, back in our, our youth, right? <laughs> but, um, you know, it's that whole idea, if you go back to, the, like I said, to the history, and, you know, the reason black and brown communities can be it, the reason it can be argued that black and brown communities are over-policed is because that's nothing but what the design is and the way history has always been with, with policing in America. You know, we have a, a lot of protests going on. A lot of uh, properties have been damaged. Businesses have been burned and looted. And I sort of feel like when that happens, it allows those people who don't necessarily buy into the seriousness of what's happening in America mm-hmm. to say, oh, look, look what they're doing now. And then it's sort of like everybody forgets about what mm-hmm. happened initially. Yeah. And the blame then goes to, well, why, why do these people have to do this? Why can't they just say that was a bad cop and he shouldn't have done that? We all agree that that was a horrible thing. And now why do we have to destroy our communities um, can you talk a little bit about sort of that attitude, those mm-hmm. people who just want to say, that was one bad cop. Yeah. Uh, cops are great everywhere else. Yeah. And then they want to point to all the, 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 the backlash that we're seeing on TV. Yeah. 
I mean, don't get me wrong. Like being a law enforcement officer is a noble profession, and until we do that, until we have that mindset in all of our communities, we're going to keep having the same problems because we need the people that look like our our communities are the ones policing our communities. If we're going to have to have police, right? Um, and so, the whole notion of you know, I wish they wouldn't do that. Yeah, I I, I, I look, I wish they wouldn't either. But um, you, you didn't listen otherwise. Right. The conversation wasn't happening otherwise. You weren't tuned in otherwise. And the whole idea of being able to ask that question shows your privilege. Right. And that is a teachable moment. Mm. Right. So when the folks say, like, why is this not happening? Like, and, and I actually I, I hate engaging people on social media, but <laughs> I am on that platform. And on, on Instagram, there was a, um, a travel person uh, uh, who has a, a, a pretty significant uh, Instagram following. And posted a photo, lives down in, in the nice neighborhoods in LA, and posted a photo of a car burning in her neighborhood, saying, I'm so scared for my life, like da da da. Same thing you said. Mm-hmm. And I just respond, Look, I understand your fear, and I absolutely think it's valid because it's right outside your door. Mm-hmm. But can you, and she, see, her, her, her specific statement was something about, like, you know, I'm afraid to leave my house because. Uh, you know, this is going on and I want to make sure that my house doesn't get burned and all this. And that's why, I, you know, valid, I, I get that. But can you imagine having that feeling every day when you walk out the house? Mm-hmm. Like that is the reality of what we're dealing with. And when you say that why uh, that's just one bad cop, no, this does not happen in a vacuum. As I just said, like just look at the, 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 the you know, bullet points that led to where we are now. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, finding out about Ahmad Aubrey two months after he was killed, huh. after it was covered up for two months, and his family was told that he was a robber, yeah. right? Like, like that is the, the insidiousness that goes on. And again, nothing new, mm-hmm. right? Nothing new, but that's why we need to have those conversations, right? Look at the real history of America. Mm-hmm. Like, there is some ugly things that have happened. The reason that America is the economic power that it is is because it is built and propped off of its foundation of free labor. We're an agrarian society. The first crops that we started to build our capital off of were, were cotton and tobacco. Who did that work? If you didn't have people, if you had to pay people minimum wage at the time to do that, we would not be a world economic power, mm. right? And so this is affecting everyone and anyone's ignorance to not address and see how that's affecting and directly connects to their lives, I call them a phony, right? We're smart. We're Americans. We can connect dots, right? Like, you don't tell me you don't understand. Mm-hmm. Sit there and think about it. You get it. We're smart. Yeah. We, can, we can do better than this. And I think that just having the conversations is the start of that, right? Um, now then people say, well, what do we do after that? Like, that's the biggest question. Well, what do we do next? Well, I, I can, I've got some, you know, some book recommendations. Um, but as you heard today, there were some, a lot of great suggestions. Stop being passive when your family member says a racist comment. Yeah. Engage that conversation. You know what? You're going to lose that conversation a few times, but after you have it for about three times, you're going to start to get the talking points down and you'll understand where that, where, how to have that conversation. Because I figured that out when I was in third grade. Right, so you're a grown-ass adult. Why can't you figure that out? <laughs> mm-hmm. Oh, that notion of white supremacy, yet you can't understand, like you're white and you're supreme, yet you can't understand why we feel oppressed. Like, why aren't you able, if you're supreme, why can't you think on this higher level and connect these dots, right? Like, like these, I, I, again, I don't have the solution, but the conversations are at least the start.
You growing up, like your mentors, like did you have somebody in your life who uh, helped you? Uh, who you know, did you have somebody you could point to who said helped you believe in yourself for the first time, or did you already grow up with that? Or talk to me a little bit about who's been influential in your life. I mean, I was raised by a single mother. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And, and you know, right next door to my grandmother um, in a predominantly white area that's uh, 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 you know south of the Mason Dixon line in Maryland. Mm-hmm. Um, Confederate so, uh, general was buried in our town. Uh, it's you know Republican conservative area, um, and um, you know my, I, I got to give a lot of credit to my mom, right? Um, raising me and my sister by herself. Uh, she was a social worker. Uh, that she she did what she needed to do as far as making sure that we would connect when she would send us to church, uh, making sure that I was connected with like you know. Male role models in the community that she could trust, uh, usually through the church. Uh, one of the lay leaders at the church, he used to mentor me a lot, and you know, would pay me to come help do things around the house, and and um, you know that like because that whole notion of I used to be angry because all the white peers I would go to school with had a, allowances. I wish I would have had an allowance, yeah. an allowance. Like just listen to that allowance. If you grew up with an allowance, question. Your whole existence. No, I'm not saying that. But like, just think about it. I didn't know it. what an allowance meant until I watched Leave it to Beaver. <laughs> and they were giving them allowances. Yeah. I'm like, what? We just have to do that. Turn, turn that TV off. On turn our that own. TV off. You know, <laughs> they get paid to do that stuff. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, I, I for, kind of forget the notion of the, uh, the question. Where do we yeah, go? no. Uh, it sounds like your mom was hugely influential. Oh, yeah, you yeah, know. Yeah. It, and that sort of transitions to our, our event today. So we had the big uh, rally and protest. We had strong women who were leading it and who were speaking and, and organizing it. There was a lot of moments where somebody could feel uncomfortable mm-hmm. because it wasn't a, there were, these were not speeches that said, thank you, we're all on the same page, mm-hmm. we can do this together. Mm-hmm. It were not those speeches. They were, those speeches were, you don't know what I go through. You're an ally, but don't try to say that, oh, we're all the same or that you don't see color because these things are real and they exist. And so I can imagine some of those people in the crowd, and of course it's a predominantly white crowd mm-hmm. in Santa Barbara. It was a beautiful sight, though. There's so many people there, yeah. you know. Um, I can imagine a lot of people are feeling a little bit uncomfortable because they're thinking, well, we came here to support you and now you're telling me that I don't matter as much mm-hmm. as the black people who are speaking. Mm-hmm. Uh, talk to me a little bit about sort of that notion of it's okay to be uncomfortable. It doesn't mean you're a bad person, but it also doesn't mean that, it also does mean that maybe you've got something to learn here. Right. Talk to me about that. Yeah, so look, man, you need to look no further than nature mm-hmm. to, to support the need to have the conversation, right? So you're uncomfortable. Nothing beautiful in nature comes without some friction. Think about that, right? To get a flower, it starts as a seed. It's got to be frictionless to get a, through the through, bust through the seed, through the soil. There is still friction as it's blooming, and then it becomes a flower. Right now, we're going through that friction. When you're feeling uncomfortable, when you're told, be an ally, know your role, don't overstep the line, like, that's, that's a, a, a uncomfortable feeling. That is the area of opportunity. Right there, because, you know, uh, when you're house training a dog, the dog makes a mistake, you stop the dog right then and there and move on. And so, like, 
why why do we try to reinvent the wheel? Yeah. Right? Like if it works for that, like why don't we just, you know, pause, think about it. This all right, we're going through a frictionist time, like, oh dog, we got kind of recoils, like, oh, I didn't I didn't know I wasn't supposed to pee there. Like and then you you learn. You start to, to le- learn, like, okay, so that's not what I do. Okay, cool. Yeah. But you had to go through that element of uncomfortability in order to get there. Mm-hmm. Same concept, same notion, right? And so there's there's some some um, <clears throat> pills or panacea for, for some of that or recommendations that, that I have. And, um, uh, you know, I'm going to echo the recommendation that the mayor is, is going to be making as folks read the book called How to Be an Anti-Racist. That's the title of the book, How to Be an Anti-Racist. It's a New York Times bestseller book. Uh, Ibram X. Kennedy Kendi is the is the author. Um, read that book, and it starts to give you some tools, right? Mm, actually, maybe that should be your second book. The first book should probably be White Fragility by Robin D'Angelo, yeah. because that's essentially what it is. Like, when you feel uncomfortable, like, oh, I just want to go home. Like, that's fragile. <laughs> like, like, you know what I mean? Like, like for... for um, us to complain about having to be stuck at home and wearing masks when we go out and that, that being our biggest inconvenience of 2020, mm-hmm. or, yeah, 2020, um, that's fragile. Mm-hmm. That's so un-American. Mm-hmm. Fragility is so un-American. Mm-hmm. We're a strong, patriotic country. Why are y'all acting fragile? Yeah. Read that book. Your sister, Robin D'Angelo, she's a white woman uh, who has done an excellent job, I think, of... Uh, deconstructing this whole notion of white privilege and letting folks digest it. If suck it up, get past the title. Don't feel fragile because you're reading that title. Read the book. After that, how to be an anti-racist, and then we can talk. Mm-hmm. Do you worry that some people will be lost because once once they they're automatically defensive, fragile. You're calling me fragile. You don't. You know, I'm role playing here. Mm-hmm. You don't know what I've been through. Mm-hmm. You don't know what I've overcome. You don't know this and that. And now you're saying I'm fragile because of the color of my skin. Mm-hmm. Are you worried about, or not you, but like, is that movement sort of worried about losing those kind of people no. when maybe uh, a different approach might appeal to them? No, because anybody who has that feel is on the wrong side of the line. <laughs> like I, I mean, if, if you know, uh, we have um, people who have various learning styles in our educational system, right? Yet we still teach to a core curriculum. Mm-hmm. Figure it out. Pick up the speed. We've been here. Welcome. And we today we saw a lot of unison, you know, uh, black and brown people. Mm-hmm. And are the fights different? Uh, you know, is, is the struggle for an African-American different than the struggle of a Mexican-American? Absolutely. Or a Latino? Absolutely. You know, and so talk to me a little bit about, like, how your, you know, that that effort and that movement relies on each other, but yet in some ways they're different. Oh, there's a lot of learning to be done in, in, in the Latino community as well. I mean, some of the most racist things I've encountered in, in, in my 10 years in California have been within the Latino community, right? You know, uh, um, uh, <laughs> yeah. It's, it's been, there's been some interesting ones, right? And um, so there, there's work to do internally within that community on that um, because, but yet there's some beautiful brotherhood and sisterhoods within the, those two communities at the same time. And so it is a very like, uh, you know, uh, interesting relationship. It's, you know, it's not a monolith by, by any means. Like I think that there's you know, great black brown unity, particularly in Santa Barbara, a lot could be done to improve. Um, as you saw, like, you know, the whole, as was pointed out, actually, how the, these communities used to be, be black, now they're uh, largely Latino. It's like, mm-hmm. it, you know, um, there is understanding of the history, but 
Yeah, absolutely. There's a difference because brown people in this country were never considered three-fifths of a human in the laws of this nation, Mm -hmm. right? Like, just, man, yeah. Like, these are the things we need to talk about. Like, that is the reality of our history, of our country. Like, man, how did you grow, grow to be so, so smart? Well, it was a process. Like, nothing, you don't just arrive at this, you know, uh, thing, like this golden moment of, of epiphany. Mm-hmm. Ah, I get it now. No, it's a process, and it's not going to be pretty. It's going to be messy. Um, but, you know, I, I, not everyone's going to feel comfortable in helping you along in that process. Most days I feel like helping folks along in that process. <laughs> uh, right now, I don't, I mean... I really, it took me a while to kind of swallow the pill and, 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 and about where we currently are. It's like, I have these conversations all the time and now everybody wants to kind of focus on it. It's just like, like, is this really, like, why did it have to take this? Mm-hmm. Like, why did it have to take this? Mm-hmm. And if we walk away from this and we don't change, shame on us. Shame on us. I mean, this is absolutely ridiculous. Just a couple more things. The, the rally today, uh, you were among the people who laid down for eight minutes mm-hmm. and 46 seconds on the, the street there. You know, it was a hot day. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, uh, it was asked that uh, black people lay down, everyone else take a knee. That experience doing that, right? I took a knee. I didn't lay down. What was it like for the eight minutes and 46 seconds when you're just sort of laying down there? You know, talk to me about what that experience was like. Well, as I said, I'm rounding 40. So my initial thought was, I'm glad I'm black today because I could not kneel for that long. <laughs> <laughs> but the, the reality of it is, 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 is like, you, you, you know, you really start to think about like, okay, this officer like really sat there with his knee on this dude's neck for this long, mm-hmm. like, like that, like. You know, when I first lay down, like, it's a warm day, high black pavement. It was warm. Like, yeah, that's, that's what happens when the cops, like, when in the middle of the summer when the cops say, get against the wall, and then it gets a little bit more frisky, and they put you on the ground, like, that hurts, right? Like, that, they know that. That's part of the antagonizing of our community that happens. Like, that is the part of what adds to the swell. Um, and so bringing all that, all of those, uh, those, you know, instances back. And I really just tried to be, during that time, just really be mindful of my breathing because, you know, the whole idea of I can't breathe, like, you know, um, I remember when I was going through my angry phase and acting out as a kid, like the, the, the whole thing that they would tell me, before, you know, when I would go to therapy because I, you know, they didn't know how to control the unruly black kid. So he has to go to therapy or something before he's allowed back in my classroom. Um, they, they, they tell you, like, just breathe, like, really focus on your breath. And it really took me a, a, a while to come to that. And then I forgot about it, right? And then I moved to Santa Barbara and started doing yoga. And I was like, oh, yeah, breathe. That's right. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah, okay. And it's helpful, right? And then, like, when we're dealing, like, you know, I work in, in, in the public sector. And, like, the past two years have been absolutely ridiculous, like, dealing with the disasters and things here. And, like, in the midst of you know, responding to the Thomas fire and then the, 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 the uh, mud, mudslide and like just the devastation and trauma and all this kind of stuff. And it's just like, there were many times I, I had to remind people around me to just breathe, right? Yeah. Like, um, and, and as I'm laying there on the ground, like focusing on that and, and just like, damn, like this, like, why, this is real. Why are we having to do this? Like this is, this is John Lewis and them's generation. They took the they, they they took those bruises for us. We should be further along. Mm-hmm. 
we're not. And then uh, there was an incident with Kathy Murillo, the mayor, today, mm -hmm. and um, Crystal Farmer. Uh, do you have any thoughts on that? Uh, she tried to talk. They didn't want her to talk. They got a little exchange. Uh, I guess um, it goes back to what we talked about was uh, it's okay for people to be uncomfortable yeah. and, and learn from it. But yeah. um, any thoughts on, on that situation at all in terms of did Kathy do the right thing, the wrong thing, or what? What could be learned from that situation? Look, look it's a it's a teachable moment for for all. Like yeah. you know, she I can understand. Like the the image from where we were, she's coming from behind the police to address us, right? Yeah. In front of us. Well, if you're the leader, if we elected you, you're the leader. Why aren't you well, with us? Why haven't you been with us? This whole trip. That's a good point. Why right? is she like, not on this side? That, yeah. So that's what they asked. That was the question what they asked. And so that was the initial tension right there was that. And so when you are coming into an encounter and that's the, like, I'm the, oh, I'm the mayor. I, look, I, I work in politics. You got a lot of stuff going on. Like, they're in the midst of figuring out the budget during a global pandemic. She's the mayor. This is going on. Like, her obligation is fiduciary, right? So to be out here, like, I'm the mayor. Let me... I, so there's this whole idea of titles and respect to that versus, look, we've been, respectability politics is over. Like this whole, like your opportunity to speak was before this happened. This is our moment now, right? Like sit down and listen to that. When, when the dog goes to the bathroom in the house and you're dog training them, you put the dog's face in that mess and they learn not to do that in the house anymore. Yeah. Right, so you just need to sit in that shit a little bit mm -hmm. and learn. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, James Joyce, I really appreciate you taking time to talk about all these things. You know, it's uh, it's my pleasure, and I do really feel honored because you're so successful on so many levels that you would make the time for me. So. Oh man, it's look, we, we we came up in the same ranks. I used to uh, to to read your stories and I'm like, man, why do you say that about my boss? <laughs> <laughs> But you know, and then I started writing talking points for your boss. <laughs> right. And then, then, then it was like, well, hey, that's the same boss. And then, but yeah, man. No, I appreciate what you're doing. I appreciate, um, you know, it, it's tough to be in this media market, uh, you know, particularly in an area like this where we have a, 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 you know, a daily media presence that has no reputation, a no positive reputation. Um, and, and, you know, anything we can do to kind of highlight. This is a great community. I mean, it's the fifth state I've lived in um, and um, uh, multiple co more communities. But there, there's a lot of good stuff going on here. There's a lot of things that need to be improved. And I think formats like this and giving folks an opportunity to hear the reality of what folks go through or what a person's story is. I mean, the kinds of conversations that you're having here and folks are learning about you in new ways. I mean, I think that that is part of this. When I'm talking about a, a continuum of racial understanding, like you could be part of that and you don't even know. Yeah. yeah. So thank you. Yeah. All right. Thank you, James. Uh, you're an inspiration and good luck to you and everything uh, going forward. And you can find more podcasts like this at www.santabarbatalks.com. And uh, thanks to Kiva Cowork for sponsoring these podcasts. Yes, sir.